Talk to my friend Drew. And Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. Well, what the hell is going on in Russia, Ukraine? What the hell is uh, uh, the Biden regime's diplomatic option? What is going through their minds? What are they going to do? Are we going to have World War III? What's happening, right? That's what's going through all of our minds right now. Well, I want to I want to lay out the facts and I want to lay out to you and make my case for what's going to happen. I do not believe that World War III will begin. I do not believe that it is the intention of this regime to start a war. I understand what's happened. Uh, some of the conversation out there. Biden's ready to start World War III to save his poll numbers. This won't even save his poll number. That I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think that's what's happening. Now, remember, a lot of the people involved in these relations, in the diplomacy, they were in Obama's regime. Tony Blinken, Secretary of State now, was in the Biden regime, the Obama regime as well, I should say. Jen uh, Psaki also was a spokesperson back in the Obama regime. She's now, of course, the, uh, the White House press secretary for, uh, for no-brain Biden. So these are holdouts. Look, a lot of this conversation that we're going to have today is going to go back to the fact that, yes, this is indeed Obama's third term. Okay? And what we have to talk about is globalism which is liberalism, which is the Democratic Party, because only through analyzing what's happening right now through this totally nonsensical, contradictory, inexplicable behavior, verbiage from this administration that doesn't make any sense at all, that contradicts itself at every turn, only through looking at it through the lens of a globalist can we actually begin to unpack and understand what is taking place. Now, the most recent revelation, admission, is the spokespeople for the Biden regime suggesting that we're going to start sending troops, troops, in collaboration with NATO troops, to Ukraine as a deterrent to Russia. I get it. I've heard it. You've heard it. It speaks like a war is going to break out, that we're going to do something. But we can look back at 2014 when Russia invaded Crimea. Well, they invaded Ukraine and took Crimea. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. And I think that history is repeating itself. And if we look at what happened in 2014, we can begin to unpack and understand what's going to take place now, here, today, years later. Now, 2014... If you go back, and I have done this, I have done the research, I have looked up the articles, I have listened to the audio bites, it's the exact same scenario. Barack Obama was the president at the time. Joe Biden was the vice president. Troops were amassed at the border of Ukraine, and the same verbiage followed. Don't do this, don't invade Ukraine, there's going to be consequences for this, we're going to implement sanctions. A bunch of empty rhetoric and words. Now, there's another conversation to be had about what our involvement should be in Ukraine. No American, no sane American, apart from the warmongers, both in the Republican and Democratic Party, you know, the military-industrial complex, only those people want to see war. 
But most Americans agree we should not get involved in a conflict. We should not lose our own sons and daughters in a conflict in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. That's not our fight. Here we are at home. Now, I'm going to get into that, too. I, I agree we should not get involved. I agree that we should not shed our own countrymen's blood for this fight. But this has broader ramifications. Now, so many people on both sides, but I'm concerned particularly on our side, which is looking at this as some black and white issue. Nope, nope, nope. Don't get involved. But the questions I want to ask or how do we, the questions I want to ask are, if I'm going to enunciate like a radio broadcaster should, but I'm fired up. I'm fired up and I got a lot of words in my brain. Forgive me. My mouth Cannot keep up with my brain right now because I've been sleeping on this for a weekend. I've been watching the news and I've been dying to get behind this microphone and explain to you what's going on. But let's go back to 2014. The same empty warnings. Don't invade Crimea. Don't do it. We're going to implement sanctions on you. Russia, don't do it. NATO, we all agree. Don't do this, Russia. You're violating the Constitution, the sovereignty of Ukraine. And what happened? They invaded, they took Crimea, and Barack Obama said, well, you know, we're not interested in another Cold War. He backed down. That's what's happening today. We're just playing a game of politics. That's all this amounts to, a game of politics. And you know what the game of politics being played is? You can read it if you read articles at CNN. In the lamestream propagandist media, they're already trying to blame Trump for this. It's Trump's fault that this is happening. And yet, you know what? I don't recall Russia making moves to amass troops at the border of Ukraine under the Trump administration. It did not happen from 2016 2017, 2018, 2019, it's happening now because we have a weak, sycophantic leader in Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. Now, yes, they're using verbiage that sounds like they're going to escalate this thing. But if history proves correct, we know that it's just empty rhetoric. We're sending arms right now to Ukraine. That's right, the second arms shipment, I believe, went out. You know, surface-to-air missiles, things like that, as a deterrent to Putin. But let me be clear. If Putin wants to invade Ukraine, nothing can stop him. They have one of the biggest military forces in the world. Years ago, it was the second biggest. I don't know if it's, it's the third. I don't know where we, where we are in terms of... I mean, look, the biggest militaries in the world are what? The United States of America, China, and Russia. Now, I would imagine, I'm just speaking, making, well, I'm not making this up, but if those are the three, maybe China has surpassed Russia. But certainly, Russia's got one of the most formidable formidable military forces in the world. Top three, U.S., Russia, China. Those three, we're the big dogs at play. Ukraine cannot stop them. Even with our service-to-air missiles, even with our help in terms of sending them extra uh, firearms, and so on and so forth, it's not going to happen. But there's something else I want to talk about too because this is eerily reminiscent of the failure in Afghanistan. The Biden regime has come out and said, well, if a conflict ensues, we can't ensure that we can get every American out of there. What is going on? What is happening right now? This administration, I'll tell you what's going on. 
This administration, from the moment, from the moment they greenlit, greenlit the Nord Stream 2. The Nord Stream 2 is the pipeline that gives Russia oil and gasoline a monopoly over production and transportation of oil and gas to the European Union. Now, Trump issued sanctions to stop the Nord Stream 2 from being completed. We've got to have a little bit of a history lesson here, so bear with me, okay? The Nord Stream 2 is at the center of all of this. The way things currently are, or were, in terms of the EU's relationship with Russia and Ukraine was that the pipeline that that delivered oil and gas that the European Union depended upon flowed through Ukraine. Ukraine's economy benefited greatly from the billions of dollars of that oil and gas that went through Ukraine to get to the EU. Now, the Nord Stream 2 goes underneath the Baltic Sea from Russia. It does not flow through Ukraine. And so the Nord Stream 2's by design being built, the reason for it, the reason it's been important to Russia is because it bypasses Ukraine. It makes the EU wholly dependent upon Russia for oil and gas. They're the big producer over there. The EU gets their oil and gas from Russia. And if you cut Ukraine out of the equation, Ukraine is weakened, Russia is emboldened, and they have great leverage over the EU. So that's what this has always been about, bolstering Russia, making Russia more formidable, more powerful on the international stage. And Trump said, no, we've got problems with this. The Baltic areas have problems with this. The Ukraine has problems with this. Even countries within the European Union have problems with this because Russia can't be trusted. Who's to stop them from shutting down oil and gas production and holding that as leverage over Europe's heads? And the truth is, the pre-existing pipelines that go through Ukraine, it would have been cheaper, cheaper to... To, uh, to reinforce them, to spend money uh, fixing that infrastructure than it would have been to build the new Nord Stream 2 under the Baltic Sea. So it wasn't even financially a sound decision. This was always about Russia gaining dominance, all right? And so is them taking Ukraine. Now, I want to explain this too about the relations between Russia and Ukraine. Now, you know... You know, I, 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 I actually, so when I was uh, uh, 22, 23, 24, I lived in Milan, Italy. I worked in Milan, Italy as a legal resident. And I took a trip to Moscow one time with uh, an Italian friend who was, doesn't matter, now he's married to a Russian girl. Uh, I was quasi-dating a Russian girl at the time, interested. Anyway, long story short, I got a visa and went to Moscow. And as I am now, I was then interested in politics, interested in talking to people, understanding about cultures and everything else, what they thought about people, learning about their history, their feelings, etc. I've always been inquisitive in that sort of way. And I talked to countless Russians in Moscow, 
And they all had these fond memories of the USSR, the Soviet Union, that is. Now, yes, we know objectively that the Soviet Union was an absolute disaster. It was ruinous. The economy was terrible. We sank them during the Cold War because they couldn't compete with us because their economy couldn't keep up. They couldn't continue to spend money on arms because they didn't have the money, the resources that the United States did. But as I spoke to people, young and old, you know, the, the, the Soviet Union represented a golden age for them, a, a better time in which Russia, the USSR, was a superpower. And so they leaned on that. They loved that. They embraced that. They wanted Russia to be great again. This is no different than a lot of the way, you know, you ever go to Paris? You know, having had the benefit of working in international spheres, Mark Jacobs, living in Italy, whatever else, I encountered a lot of people from all over the world. And I asked a woman one time who was an upper-level boss of mine, who was from Paris, what's the deal with the Parisians? Why do they have the attitude? So on and so forth. She said, well, you know, Parisians in particular, uh, those in France, you know, they really, they really are fond of what France used to be. Back under King Louis, they would go back way in history even till you know, King Louis the 14th, you know, the Sun King or whatever they called him, you know, when, when, when France was the predominant power, every country's like this. They want to be great and they missed the days that w- they were great and they yearn for greatness again. And so the Parisians, they cannot move on from the past. They're still focused on Versailles, what was built before, the art the culture, they're the best place in the world, except they're not. And so they project that. They want that for themselves again. Same thing in Nazi Germany, right? Hitler, the Nazi regime. What did they preach? Just like Putin. They believed that Austria, for example, belonged to Germany. Common tongue, one people. You know, they resented the fact, this is important, hang on to this. The Nazis... What did they preach, okay? They, 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 they looked, look, after World, War, after World War I, the Germans were blamed pretty much exclusively for what took place, for instigating, for everything that happened. And they felt that, like, the Versailles Treaty was unfair to them, that they got a raw deal because it limited, limited their military, it hurt them economically, and it forced Germany to become a shell of its former self. And the Nazis clung on to that, And they preached a message of this is Versailles Treaty was unfair. Germany is a great power. We must go back to our pre-World War I territory. Austria is ours. We even want to invade Poland. We're all about German greatness. Same thing with Putin. Putin, remember, Putin is a guy who, uh, KGB officer. He was around for the Soviet Union. He represents that yearning for the Russian people. And he is a strong person. Now, look, the difference in somebody like a Putin and somebody in America is that Putin doesn't really care about the citizens, all right? But he cares deeply about Russia and its standing in the world. He loves Russia deeply. You cannot deny that to Putin. He does. He's a patriot of the country. Now, his political philosophy is totalitarian. He'll kill somebody who stands against him. He is... uh, He's a blunt instrument, but it's all in the name of the greatness of Russia, restoring Russia. So what does Putin believe? He has said this for a long time. This is not news. He believes Ukraine belongs to 
Russia, just like China believes Taiwan belongs with China. He has written essays about this. He has sent these essays that he's written to the soldiers in the Russian military. We are one people, Ukraine and Russia. Ukraine should not be its own separate entity. They belong to us. That's what Crimea was about in 2014. That's what this conflict is about today. The restoration of Russia. Restoring the greatness of Russia. Restoring Russia to the state that it existed in when it was the Soviet Union. That's what this is about. So what is, what is America's role right now? Now, why would the United States of America and the Biden regime, why would they grant Russia the Nord Stream 2 pipeline? Meanwhile, they shut down the Keystone Pipeline in the USA. They don't want us to be energy independent, mind you. We all pay gas every day. We see the difference in the price of the pump. It's going up, 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 up in perpetuity here. Begging Saudi Arabia to lower prices so we can buy more gasoline from them. When just a year ago, we were energy independent, but not since Biden came into office. So why is it that Biden would shut down the Keystone Pipeline, make us energy dependent, okay, but he would then green light a pipeline that would make Russia, Russia have a monopoly on energy production and transportation to the European Union. It doesn't make sense, does it? Unless, unless you look at it through the lens of a globalist. The globalists are the Democrats. The globalists, liberalism, I don't want to get caught in the weeds here in terms of terminology, but liberalism... Democrats, globalists, same thing. The globalists believe that America does not have the right to be a superpower. These are the people that hate America. The people that want to bring America down a peg or two or a hundred. They want to lift up foreign enemies and adversaries because that's fair. China should be a world player. Russia should be a world player. It's not fair that America dominates the world. And that's where this comes into play. Now, when Biden greenlit the Nord Stream 2, I'm telling you right now, that was the moment that he greenlit Putin to invade Ukraine. It was a wink and a nod. Hey, we support you. We support what you want because we're globalists and we want you to be further empowered. It doesn't matter that you're an adversary of ours. We're a globalist. We want to uplift other nations. We want to take America down. We want to destroy this place and help others because it's only right and fair in this world that others, others share the playing field. Even if you are maniacs, even if you're tyrants. And so what's happening now? It is incomprehensible, right? What the messaging is. We've been threatening sanctions against Russia since they started amassing troops when they were just 10,000 at the border. Now there's over 100,000 troops, and yet no sanctions have been put into place. Isn't that odd? What are we waiting for? We keep delaying. You know, we could have put, we could have nipped this in the bud early on if we had a president who was in the right state of mind and loved America and was looking out for our interests and to avoid the conflict that we're facing today. We could have put sanctions in place 
that would have made Putin turn around, put his tail between his legs, and remove those 10,000 troops. But now it's 100,000. And still, Tony Blinken, Tony Blinken is saying, well, we're still reserving. We're still reserving putting those sanctions in place until, you know, they actually invade. And then we had, of course, Joe Biden in that embarrassing, embarrassing second solo press conference that we talked about last episode. Well, we had Biden admit accidentally, well, you know, if it's a minor incursion, minor incursion, not a full-blown escalated war, but a minor incursion and nothing's going to happen. We're not going to get involved. And then what did Saki say? She released a press release immediately after trying to cover their tracks. But that's the reality. He said, he, he told the truth. That's the point. And what these, this administration wants to do, they want Russia to take Ukraine. Do not mistake me. They want Russia to take Ukraine because they want Russia to be restored. They support a strong Soviet Union-like Russia. I know that's hard to digest. You have to understand the globalist mentality, which is real. It is not an ideology like we have. It's hard for us to understand because we can't comprehend anybody hating America. It's like Cloward Piven. I don't want to go off on a tangent too long here, but Cloward Piven. The Cloward Piven strategy. Francis Piven and uh, that was the woman, the wife of, of uh, Cloward. I'm forgetting his first name right now. But they're the ones who believed that they had to, they wanted to overhaul the welfare state. They wanted to import illegal immig- immigrants. They believed that we needed to put so many people on welfare in America so as to destroy it, to bring this country to its knees because they had to overwhelm it, right? Because They wanted to put so many people on welfare that it destroyed the economic system, that it made it collapse. Why? So they could rebuild from ground zero their communist dystopia. And that was their methodology of doing it. There are people in this country that want this. Saul Alinsky, the other one, rules for radicals. The person that Hillary Clinton worshipped, who wrote a book, Rules for Radicals, about how to foment uh revolution in this country to bring about what? Communism. That's who's in charge and that's the only way you can understand what's happening. So this administration now is, it's a dog and pony show. We're going to send this. We're going to do this. We're going to sanction you. You know, there's going to be far reaching repercussions if Russia sends one troop over the border. But this is the same thing we heard in 2014. This is not new. Literally, you could play the clips from 2014. You could play Obama talking about it. It's just like Biden now. It's just like blinking now. The same thing. All empty words. And then nothing's going to happen in the end. That's where this is headed. And so I know it's popular to attack and say, oh, they're going to get us in a war. They want to just, you know, uh, distract us from the horrible poll numbers, from their failures, this administration, the inflation. Maybe, maybe to some extent, but we're not going to war. We're not going to war. Believe me. 2014 is going to replay. They are going to take Ukraine. And we're going to back off and say, hey, we're not here to start World War III. That's what they're setting up for. But they have to do these things. They have to go through the motions. They have to send arms, for example, to Ukraine so they can pretend 
convince us that they actually didn't want this to take place, but they do want this to take place. And they've wanted it to take place, and they've signaled that they were on board for it since they greenlit the Nord Stream 2 because the Nord Stream 2 was instrumental in making Russia have a monopoly over energy production and transportation to the European Union, making them making Europe dependent on, on Russia and bypassing Ukraine. So that's what's going on here. We are aiding and abetting Russia in expanding their territory. All right, this is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. Richard Cloward and Francis Piven. Cloward Piven. It bothered me that I could not remember Cloward's first name, Richard Cloward. So there it is, you know, following through, circling back, if you will. So, obviously, front page news now is what's happening with Russia. But now I want to tackle this from a different point of view. Because, look, I'm watching... I'm watching the, the, the conversation before us. Conservative, conservatives on our side saying, we don't want to get involved in Ukraine, so on and so forth. But we need to, we need to gain greater perspective about all of this. Because to me, this is not about Ukraine. This isn't about Ukraine at all. This is about the far-reaching repercussions that follow if this takes place. Now, don't mistake me. I'm not advocating for American troops to be sent to get involved in the Russia-Ukrainian conflict, but we've got to look at the intentions behind this administration which allowed and permitted this to get this far. Like I said, we could have nipped this in the bud early on, but we did not. We could have implemented sanctions long ago and stopped this from getting to the point that it is, where Russia is literally ready to invade. But we did not. Now, we explained why. I explained why. I tried to to articulate why this is taking place with globalism and everything else. But what's the problem here? China wants to take Taiwan. This is the thing. We, 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 let me calm down. Okay. America doesn't get involved in this conflict. We don't send troops. Fine. Russia takes Ukraine. Now what? What does that mean? What's the ripple effect? Well, every other country in the world is looking at this situation and saying, well, America doesn't have much influence. They couldn't stop the Russians from taking Ukraine. What are our allies saying as well? Ukraine is an ally of America. Who wants to be on board with us? Who do we offer protection? Who relies on us? Who trusts us anymore? Nobody. We're not reliable. We've demonstrated that we don't have the authority or power. We don't rule through peace, through strength anymore. And so then China takes Taiwan. And we say again, okay, well, 
you know, that's China and Taiwan's problem. That's far away from us. America has no interest in China, Taiwan. That's a that's far away. That's the East. That's Asia. It doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. America is demonstrating to the world that we are no longer a formidable force, a deterrent in the world. And this is my concern. If we were watching this from afar and saying, okay, look, we don't want to get involved in the Ukraine-Russian conflict, but, but, danger is afoot. And this really is, I mean, look, I'm a history junkie. I love studying history. And I think I do it very well. If we go back to Nazi Germany, it was the same thing. Okay, well, we kept delaying. Not we, because America was an isolate, had an isolationist mentality right then, right? That was that was Europe. That didn't affect America. So what? Okay. But that was that was England's issue, right? So they take Austria. They weren't supposed to do that. The Germans weren't supposed to build up their military force, but they did. They violated the Versailles Treaty. And people, you know sat there and said, well, you know, we don't want to have a conflict. We don't, get, want to, we don't want to get involved in a war. So they took Austria, they invaded Poland, and then World War II happened. And even after World War II began, Neville Chamberlain, right? He was the guy who uh, trusted Hitler, believed Hitler's word, thought he'd made some great deal and, and made great headway with Hitler. But he didn't understand who he was dealing with because he was naive. And Pearl Harbor happened in America, did it not? Pearl Harbor. 3,000 some odd Americans murdered, killed in a kamikaze attack by the Japanese. It came to our shores despite our greatest efforts to remain uninvolved in the European conflict. But the Japanese feared our involvement and they brought us into the war by attacking us at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. This is relevant. Do you know why I'm concerned? Why I keep saying it's not really about Ukraine? America, at this point in history, should look at the world stage, look at what's happening, what China wants, what Russia wants, all these chess pieces moving to displace us, replace us, combat us, threaten us, threaten the world, take over the world. We should be bolstering our military, making sure that we're prepared, and we're not. We're not. We are arguing about making, uh, 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 you know, bringing more women into the armed forces. We're having debates about transgenderism, about pregnant people in, in, in the armed forces. We're not a serious fighting force anymore. Barack Obama hollowed out our military. Got rid of ships. Weakened us on the world stage. And that's what's happening today. We are not doing anything to confront the dangers that will await us in the very near imminent future. It's one thing to say, look, we don't want to get involved in the Ukraine-Russia conflict. Fine. But we should at least look at what it represents and what could happen down the, down the pipe and say, well, we should be best prepared to confront 
any kind of threats that come our way in the future. We know that China's not a friend of ours. They're the greatest threat. I think it's indisputable, the greatest threat we face in modern American history. And yet they're focused on winning. They're focused on building their military. And we're focused on enlisting more women as combat troops. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's what, what, what wisdom did we miss for the past, I don't know, 100 years? How could we have been so stupid? You know, we didn't wear masks to combat the flu or the common cold. Now we put little masks on our faces that do nothing. What, what great progress we're suddenly making scientifically. What about war? War. How is it that we won World War II without female combatants? Not a single female combatant stormed the beaches of Normandy. How could we possibly have won World War II without women, women getting shot in the head with their brains spilling out of their ears in World War II? They weren't woke. They weren't taught critical race theory, taught about how white people have an advantage in society, about how there should be guilt associated with being white. How could we have won wars without that kind of teaching and ideology? And this is the problem. We are in the most dangerous period since I've been alive. I'm 34 years old, born in 1987. February 10th, 1987, baby. That's when I was born. And never before has America been in such a dangerous place. We've got Iran to worry about. We've got China to worry about. We've got Russia to worry about. Russia's going to invade Ukraine. China's going to invade Taiwan. And what are we doing in, in response? Nothing. We're destroying our military. We don't have a preeminent fighting force anymore. We have an FBI that's concerned with uh, arresting grandmas. We have an FBI that's, that's concerned with creating these uh, false flag operations, pretending to be a white supremacist throughout the country, trying to, to, to create and foment this narrative of hatred towards MAGA, towards Republicans, towards conservatives like me. The FBI is intimately involved. Ray Epps, Ray Epps, the only guy on camera who incited an insurrection on January 6th, a Fed Our, our, our government is being harnessed to destroy America and Americans, not defend it. Violations of their oaths of duty, responsibility, constitutional uh, pledges, everywhere you look. This is my great concern. Again, it's not about Ukraine. It's about what follows. Okay, they take Ukraine. What, what do we do when China takes Taiwan? Anybody? Does anyone believe this government is capable or can even be trusted? That's the problem. And the reality is our government is so compromised today that they are not looking out for the interests of America. That's why I bring up globalist time and time again. These people... We have to understand. It's the only way that we can make sense of this. Our government today does not value, does not protect American interests. They are looking to destroy America and uplift our enemies. 
This is a hard thing to digest, as I said in the first segment. But this is where we are. I mean, think about this too. A um, when when well, let, let, let me let me stick with something that's familiar to me that drives me insane. So Gavin Newsom, who's the governor of of this great communist state of California where I live, you know, a a a, a gang went and robbed a train recently, and so uh, there was havoc. Uh, he went recently to be photographed cleaning up the leftovers of the destruction. And he said, how could this happen? How could this happen? You did this, Gavin Newsom. The Democrats run California. Period. One state, one party rule. There's not a Republican fingerprint on anything. And he has the audacity to go and say, how could this happen? You made this happen, Gavin Newsom. Furthermore, He called the people, he said something about they're a gang. And then, this is the thing too. These politicians aren't running anything. There is a cabal behind it all. Gavin Newsom talks about, mentions the word gang in response to a gang that robbed this train. And then he immediately issued an apology and said, oh, I shouldn't have used the word gang. Gang is derogatory. Of course it's derogatory. It's a gang. It's true. It's real. But this is what's happening. There are people behind the scenes driving this ideology. They can't even keep the narrative straight. They say the truth and they backtrack. It's like when somebody's killed. When a cop is murdered, what do we hear today? Well, a gun killed this A gun killed this person? No, a criminal killed this person. More than likely, a person that got off on $5,000 bails on bail who was released from prison because of the prison reform from these new district attorneys who are backed by George Soros. This is the kind of crap that we have to deal with today. These people are evil, evil people. No matter how you look at it, a gun killed them. A gun suddenly just, just like appeared and shot somebody and took their life. No, a criminal pulled that trigger. I just read a story today about somebody who lit his girlfriend or something on fire and got released on bail for $5,000. How is this happening? This is the thing. They want criminals in the streets. They want to bring this country to its knees. This is the enemy we face today. All right, I'll be right back. Look, I am absolutely frustrated. I'm fit to be tied by what's happening to this country, but I don't want you to think that I'm trying to parlay some message of of negativity, of pessimism. I'm a realist. I am. And my, my goal is always to be honest and straightforward with you, but... You know, there is a silver lining to all of this, and that's that, that people are waking up. I mean, Joe Biden's poll numbers are so disastrous. I mean, it's so bad that Democrats don't want anything to do with him. I mean, Beto O'Rourke, for example, who has no chance in hell of defeating Greg Abbott if he runs for governor, which he's admitted he's going to do. Beto O'Rourke, who said he's going to come for your guns, I mean, he, he's engaged in running 
Another pointless statewide campaign in Texas. Now, I would love to know what Beto O'Rourke does for a living. How how is he making any income? Who is funding? Who's paying for the lights and the electricity in his home? I know in the past he was working at some university in Texas as some kind of adjunct professor with a... Well, he had as many students, 20-some-odd students, which is bigger than... uh, Joy O'Reed's, no, not Joy O'Reed. What's her name? Joy Ann Reed. Joy Reed. Yeah, there. That's her name. Joy Reed's audience. And she, by the way, she's gonna have no show come come spring. MSNBC is gonna fire her because she's such a loser. But anyway, he is quoted saying, "I'm not interested in any national politician. I'm talking about Beto O'Rourke. Anyone outside of Texas coming into this state to help decide the outcome of this." So Beto is basically telling Joe Biden, don't come anywhere near me and campaign for me. Now, Beto's last effort was to unseat Ted Cruz back in 2018 for the U.S. Senate. He also ran for president in 2020, and that that was like, I don't know whose odds were, were worse, him or uh, Kamala, get on her knees and blow, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say that, um, you know, Willie, Willie Brown, that whole situation. But anyway, uh, you know, Beto said, no one in Washington, D.C. right now can help us with the challenges that we have. This one is all, uh, all of us. This one is on all of us, he said. So Beto O'Rourke wants nothing to do with Joe Biden. And I mean, I've never seen it so bad for a president ever. I mean, even if I look back at history before I was born, it's never been this bad. People want nothing. Stacey Abrams in Georgia couldn't make it when Joe Biden showed up in Georgia to promote the phony, you know, uh, Voting Rights Act when he was promoting that. She didn't even want to be seen with him. And now Beto O'Rourke doesn't want to be seen with this guy. The Democrats know they're in trouble and we're going to wipe the floor with these people come the midterms in 2022. So that is the optimistic message. There is a, 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 a something happening in America that is far beyond even, I think, the Tea Party back in the Obama years. People are moving far, far right towards conservatism, away from the Democratic Party. But we've got to stay on message. That's my responsibility, our responsibility in responding to all of this. But Democrats, you know, I mean, the the problem is, you know, um, there was a former New York Times writer, Barry Weiss, Barry Weiss. I'll end with this. You know, she went on the Bill Maher show recently and she condemned the COVID lockdowns, condemned all the, well, everything we know, all the lies we've been told. She, She claimed, I've done everything. I've gotten the vaccine, I've gotten boosted, and still you're telling me to wear a mask and all this sort of stuff. Our kids need to be in school. So she's denouncing the lies of the COVID lockdown people, which is the Democratic Party. But, you know, I I said that Barry Weiss's condemnation is irrelevant. It's meaningless unless she's willing to also condemn the Democratic Party who's responsible for the lockdowns. And you know what? Barry Weiss, good for her for finally coming out 
and denouncing the COVID crap, the lies that we've lived for so long. But I've been saying it and others in our circles like you, we've all been saying this for two years. So she's late to the show and she wants some kind of applause. I'm not going to clap for Barry Weiss. I'm not going to do it because Barry Weiss isn't showing courage by now when the CDC has admitted the same things that we once were ridiculed for saying. Masks don't work. Lockdowns don't work. This has destroyed our country and society. I'm not going to clap for her. Just like I'm not going to clap for Elon Musk when he finally, you know, when he says something that seems conservative. You know, by the way, he's opening a new plant in China. Anyone who thought Elon Musk was one of us, don't clap for him either. He's not. These people are self-interested. They're looking at their own bottom dollar, what's beneficial for them. And China, China is going to make Elon Musk a lot of money. So yeah, he may go on the Joe Rogan show and say things that we know are right and true. Things that sound common sense, good for him. But at the end of the day, Elon Musk is not a conservative. He's opening a Tesla plant or whatever it is in China. So he's not a principled person. He's just looking out for himself because he's the richest man in the world and he wants to keep it that way. But Barry Weiss, I don't care. She's a liberal Democrat. She left the New York Times and that's really where she became, uh, gained her notoriety because she claimed that the New York Times, well, again, shocking, right? The Holocaust denying, uh, you know, uh, uh, public publication, the New York Times. Well, they didn't welcome voices of dissent. They didn't welcome journalism. Well, no kidding, Barry Weiss. We've known this since the 1940s. But she left the New York Times, and now she's made her way to the uh, Bill Maher show to denounce the stupidity of this COVID. She's, she's awakened suddenly to the fact that, well, this doesn't make sense. We've been lied to. But she's still a liberal Democrat. And so she's denouncing the lockdowns, denouncing the execution of things, but she's not willing or courageous enough to actually come out and denounce the Democratic Party, to say, I'm done with Democrats. That would be courage, Barry Weiss. It's not courageous to come out two years later when it's popular to condemn the lockdowns, when lockdowns are finally kind of disappearing, when it's no longer popular to embrace this idea that little children should wear masks on their faces and they should be forced to be vaccinated with an experimental vaccine that's no vaccine at all because it doesn't create immunity, in which Fauci can claim today that piece of crap garbage oh, well, we might need future boosters. We need more boosters. Which booster? How many are we at now? And I told you about the Rasmussen poll last time that says that I should be in prison because I'm questioning the efficacy of the shots. But anyway, I'm not going to sit here and clap for Barry Weiss. I'm happy that she's found... I, it's not even Courage. I'm glad she's finally admitted what we've known and said courageously for two years. But it's the Democratic Party that continues to utilize and try to utilize COVID as a tactic, as a maneuver, as a strategy to control the population. So Barry, I got to tell you, 
Unless you're willing to denounce the Democratic Party who supports the lockdowns, supports the masking, supports the shots that you've said you've taken and done and you disagree with the fact that they continue to push this even though you've done everything you were asked to do, required to do to get your liberty and still you don't have your liberty. Well, that's not news to me because I'm a conservative and I understand how the Democratic Party operates and how they utilized... COVID to fundamentally transform and reorganize and recreate America in their own communist image since the very beginning. You're late to the game. Good for you. No claps for you because you're slow and you're not that smart. So anyway, if Barry actually had courage, she would come out and she would denounce the Democratic Party and say she's no longer a Democrat, but she's still a liberal Democrat. And this is the thing. Democrats are now totally against Joe Biden, but they believe that somehow some other Democratic candidate in 2024 is going to solve the problems of inflation, solve the problems of rising gas prices, solve all the problems that we face today. But that's baloney because they don't understand that it's Democrats that are the problem. Yes, Joe Biden's a problem, but Joe Biden is just one example. He is a Democrat. All the Democrats are like that. If Kamala Harris is president, if any other Democratic Party candidate is president, it's going to be the same. They won't solve anything because their goal, their very policies are intended to destroy America, intended to, to bring us down a peg to get back to the beginning of this conversation and this podcast episode. And so don't doubt me on this. Russia will take Ukraine. History teaches us this, going back to 2014. The Democrats will blame Donald Trump for the situation. They will divert any blame from themselves. So my point is, this is how the Democrats work every time. This is a strategy of theirs, out of their playbook. They create the problem in crisis, right? So in this case, they allowed, gave a wink and a nod, permitting Russia to amass 100,000 plus troops at the Ukraine border. And then they virtue signal. They send some arms. They talk a big talk, all hat, no no cattle. We don't want you to do this. We denounce this. We don't approve of this. We're going to do X, Y, and Z to you. We're going to sanction you. And yet they haven't sanctioned. They haven't done anything. They're just talking to cover their bases. So they're going to take Ukraine, and the Democrats will blame Trump for creating the situation, which is a lie. They will then claim that they supported Ukraine. They gave them arms and so on and so forth. But then they'll back off and say, well, we don't want to escalate things. So... Russia will win, they will take Ukraine, and the Democrats will try to escape all culpability for what happened. A situation that they wanted to take place, that they permitted to take place, and then it'll be on to the next thing. So I would not predict that the Democrats use this as a strategy in 2022, because we know that Obama didn't use it as a strategy back in 2014 going forward. This is simply the globalists doing what globalists do. Aiding and abetting our enemies, uplifting them, and hurting America. That's what's going on. That's out of their playbook. 
And that's all I can say about that. This is Drew Allen. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. And until next time.